Greetings and welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this is a weekly show that brings you the most interesting content in InfoSec, technology, and humans. The idea is to curate around three to five hours of weekly reading into a 15 to 30 minute summary. The goal is to have you caught up on current events, tell you about the best content from around the web, and hopefully give you something to think about as well. You can get the companion newsletter with all the show notes and links at danielmesor.com newsletter. All right, welcome back from the 4th of July break. If you um, took that break, maybe you're not in the U.S. and you don't care about that. But uh, welcome back anyway. And this is episode 85, and we're going to start off with InfoSec. So first story is that the FBI is warning that hackers have targeted multiple nuclear sites within the U.S., and they're using phishing and other techniques. And a lot of people in the government are evidently attributing this to Russia, which uh, seems to be a common theme. There's some debate in the InfoSec community around whether this is kind of a scapegoat situation where everyone's just kind of blaming Russia for everything. I am of the opinion that we should believe the intelligence community around if they're saying that uh, Russia is responsible for these things. I don't think that's always the case. I don't think we should just automatically assume that they're being truthful, but you have to weigh everything, right? You have to weigh all the different inputs and and ask about likelihoods and and you know, put these things together and connect them in your own mind. And when I do that, I end up believing most claims about Russia doing these things. Uh, Not all claims, like I said, but uh, most, especially when multiple government organizations are saying the same thing. So um, that's where I stand on this. And I think it's uh, troubling that they're now going after nuclear sites especially when you have people in the government and people in InfoSec saying, no, it's definitely not them. We're just blaming them. Um, I did an essay a while back called when you believe nothing, you can be convinced of anything. And I think that very much applies to this situation where we have very clear indicators, all of our experts or many of our experts telling us the same thing. And we choose to have this skeptical view, which is really just refusing to accept good evidence, in my opinion. And uh, I, I think that should be tempered with what we have to guide ourselves with. And that, that is common sense, given very little concrete information, but lots of partial information, right? And it, it's incumbent on intelligent people with lots of knowledge to be able to piece these things together. Um, And I believe that if you do that with a lack of bias, that you will end up in a similar place that I am. And also there are other InfoSec experts who kind of, their expertise is on blurring the line between, you know, InfoSec and intelligence community knowledge. Uh, The Gruck is a great example of this. And like myself, I was going back all the way to like July and August of last year saying Russia is involved in heavy stuff around us. Why are they? What is? What are their motives? And the Gruck has been consistently saying the same exact things, um, you know, different things, but pointing to Russia just as I have. Um, now it could be that we're both wrong, but 
I, I just don't, uh, I just don't see it. So that's my opinion on this. I believe that this is likely Russia attacking our, uh, nuclear sites, as well as, you know, the election systems and lots of other stuff. I, I, I don't see anything from Putin that would indicate that they would not be doing that. So that's that one. There's a piece of copycat malware that's infected 14 million Android devices. And a new and improved attack against satellite communications allows attackers to basically decrypt communications in near real time. And this is an improvement from a Chinese team uh, on some older work that was done by some German researchers on decrypting this satellite communication as well. And the takeaway here was even back for this first attack, you don't really want to trust the native satellite communications because it is uh, easy to attack. And this just made it far easier. So typical encryption system where uh, attacks only get easier and never harder. Let's Encrypt will start offering free wildcard certs in 2018. That's exciting. So it's a free cert provider, but they don't do wildcards, uh, but they will in 2018. The military is going to be finished implementing TLS for soldier emails by 2018, July. So right now, the stuff is just normal email in the clear, and they're implementing the start TLS protocol to protect that stuff. I would have thought that would have been done five years ago, but I guess that's good. Google is adding data security controls to G Suite to limit third-party access to data. And this is coming on the uh, sort of backside of the, the phishing uh, thing that happened recently. Three million people have had their data exposed after the WWE left their database exposed to the internet in an S3 bucket. This S3 bucket thing is basically a, it's a, uh, I don't know, really bad problem. It's happening everywhere. Uh, people are just leaving S3 buckets with open permissions sitting there. And it's getting pretty common to just uh, pilfer for them and post the stuff online. So. That's not good. Symantec has purchased Fireglass, an Israeli company that does browser isolation. And in the patching section, Android. If you have Android, patch it to the latest version that you can. If you don't have a Android Google phone, but you love Android, I recommend you get the Google phone and, uh, and use that over any other Android device because you can have the latest updates and most other Android ecosystems keep you behind quite a bit and you'll be significantly less safe by using them. Technology news. The first Tesla Model 3 was just released from the factory and it was picked up by a lucky owner by the name of Elon Musk. Does this guy really need a Tesla? Like, first in line. Actually, it wasn't really his fault. He was farther back in the line, and the person who had first gave his first place spot to Elon Musk as a birthday present. Like, he really needed that, but oh well. Um, so the Model 3, again, is Tesla's attempt to hit the mass market with the car only costing around 35000 without options. 
I imagine that'll be around 70K with doors and a steering wheel. Jawbone is closing shop, basically, and liquidating all its assets. The founder is moving to a healthcare startup, basically doing hardware and software for healthcare. And uh, a DJ has published a full-length album. This is pretty cool. Using the Ethereum blockchain. So you can actually purchase it, um, you know, make, make the actual transaction using the blockchain. And it downloads from uh, an open source uh, file system online. So that's pretty cool. Hackers are modifying their drones to remove limitations like altitude requirements, no-fly zones, whatever. There's uh, Russian firmware out there that does this. No surprise there. And uh, DJI, who makes um, the Mavic and some other really popular drones, is fighting back by hardening their, their drones versus modification. So it's kind of like hackers versus manufacturers, which is a typical meme. And uh, Netflix has already passed cable TV in viewership. That's happened some time ago. But Amazon Prime is about to do the same. Uh, and basically, cable TV is in significant trouble because uh, they're just being tore up by these other services. And uh, Tim Berners-Lee is being heavily criticized for supporting the introduction of DRM into HTML. And this is a sad thing for me because I've seen for the whole week a whole bunch of things about how DRM is bad. Those happen to be my initials. So that was a little bit weird. Human news. Our various mental performance capabilities peak and level off at different times. So processing speed and short-term memory peaks in the late teens and early 20s, but our big picture comprehension doesn't peak until our 50s. And then it levels off again and it starts to decline again around like the mid 70s. So like different capabilities of the mind have different like shelf lives or whatever. So another study showed that the average GPA of a millionaire is around 2.9. And valedictorian types who, you know, have like a 4.5 or whatever, which isn't really possible. But anyway, perfect straight-A students, they don't really reach, they typically don't reach the highest levels of achievement. And the theory put forth for this, which I have a link to here, is that top performers in high school and college typically are conformists. They do everything within the rules, within the lines, and perfectly, whereas top achievers tend to be good enough to do those things potentially, but they draw outside of the lines, right? They break rules, they change systems, and that's what gets you to the top, top level. So I think I've heard this before many times, but I thought it was worth capturing and passing on. The opioid <clears throat> epidemic in the US is having another terrible effect, which is flooding orphanages with kids that have no parents. So basically foster homes are filling up because the families are destroyed, the parents are destroyed, um, unable to take care of them, or dead. So this is quickly overwhelming the foster system in the U.S. The balance of suburbs being rich and cities being poor is reversing, with big box stores and malls closing online uh, due to online retail. Suburbs are basically slipping into poverty and the cities are the ones that are actually thriving 
with high paying jobs and workers. So that's a really weird dynamic just to think about in the US overall. It used to be that the city was kind of nasty and everyone who is rich went to the suburbs and everything was great. And that's where you had the malls and the nice homes and everything. And now the suburbs are like, they're just decaying, right? All the big stores are closing because of, you know, Amazon or whatever. And uh, it's, it's just, it's becoming poor. It's becoming uh, quite, quite sad out there. And all the high paying jobs and all the people who could do those jobs are moving into the cities. And that's where it's vibrant. And there's lots of culture and there's lots of activity and stuff going on. So really interesting trend to watch. And sort of uh, going along with that, the population in rural America is aging and shrinking. And the numbers on this is pretty are, are pretty crazy. You should check out the link. But uh, they have high schools where like there would be a hundred people graduating like uh, I don't know a couple decades ago, and this year it's like eighteen people graduating. And when they graduate, they leave. Right? They usually the young people go to like the city. They don't come back. And uh, again, the communities are just dying. So quite, quite uh, interesting trend going on. Ideas. Wrote a pretty cool essay uh, last week called The Future of Pen Tests, Bug Bounties, and Security Testing. And this is all about my view of how basically the debate between is a bug bounty better or a pen test better is completely missing the point because both of these are deprecated models, uh, or they soon will be. They're old systems, right? And we're competing about, you know, which old system is going to beat out the, the other old system when we should be talking about the new system. And the new system is individual-based testing. It's the gig economy versus the centralized economy. It's decentralization versus centralization. It's basically security testers being qualified in things and them getting gigs through a technology layer, kind of like a LinkedIn or a reputation system, um, kind of like Uber or Lyft or whatever. And you have companies who say, I want this job done. And they kind of drag and drop qualified testers in kind of a um, researcher type, uh, you know, bounty type system. Um, but they can do pen testing work, they can do vulnerability assessment work, they could do whatever, but they don't need a bug bounty company in between. You don't necessarily need a pen test company in between. It's the company who needs the work done, and it's the individual. And the contracts are on the, all negotiated by third parties, and there's trust built into the technology layer that connects them. And this is... Uh, you know, this is a little while off. This is five, 10 years off, but it's already starting, I think. And um, I'm going to be doing a follow-up essay talking about what does the resume or the CV of a tester of the future look like? 10 years from now, if you're a security tester, what does your skill set look like? How is it being broadcasted to the world? What technologies you know, present that to different companies so you can be discovered. Uh, so I'm going to talk about that because um, when I put out this article, a bunch of people emailed me and said, you know, what do I do to get ready for this? So that's why I'm going to write that second piece. 
But uh, definitely check it out, the future of pen tests, bug bounties, and security testing. And if you disagree on something, uh, let me know. I, I mean, I would love to tweak this thing and make it better. Um, I had a number of people, Jeremiah, um, I think Jake Cran from uh, Bug Crowd, reach out on Twitter and basically say, yeah, you know, we, we agree. I, I think this is the way it's going. So I think there is a lot of people who agree with this, but if you don't, I would love to hear from you. Next one is the ransomware trinity, which is basically just that there are three things that kind of determine if you're vulnerable to ransomware. Uh, I think I've talked about that before, but the link's there. And uh, third one, many math students are evidently using Wolfram Alpha, Alpha to cheat on homework. But uh, and it's starting to look kind of inevitable. I mean, how are you going to stop this from happening? So basically, this one teacher in this article uh, sent out a bunch of regular equations uh, to be solved. And they accidentally put in one that was really hard, like way above the skill set of the students. And they all came back perfectly answered. Turns out Wolfram Alpha can not only solve the problem, but show all the steps of the work. And there's no real way for the teacher to tell the difference between their work and Wolfram Alpha. So this is going to become more of a problem. And, and what I was basically saying here is that, well, I didn't write an essay. This is just a comment for the, for the newsletter. But um, as you start integrating computers and like neural connections, even like uh, voice assistants, that kind of thing, the more that your own brain is augmented by direct access to technology, the, the less of a distinction there's going to be between you and it. It's going to be about what can you do at any given time. Um, so if, if you need to know calculus and someone shows you a, an equation or whatever, maybe you should understand the concepts and you should understand how to do the work conceptually and maybe even functionally but not necessarily be able to do it all the time in, in a full sort of way. Maybe you just need to be able to get the, the uh, augmented reality display of the answer and be able to convey that quickly, right? What functionally is the difference between those? Now, I know, you know, if you're going to be a deep level engineer, if you're going to be designing things, you do absolutely need to know the concepts. And of course, I am highly for understanding concepts. But day-to-day -day doing the work, there's going to be less focus on, you know, conceptually what you know versus what you're able to produce. And I think that's just obvious and unfortunate, but it, it's uh, practical and it's reality. And uh, I think universities are going to have to start dealing with that because um, what a student can do with their their digital assistant or their phone or whatever is not going to be much different from what they can do as these things start to become part of our lives. So that was that piece. Discovery, a quality API security checklist by Shieldfi. Shieldfi, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but something shieldy. Um, very cool API security checklist. This is on GitHub. And it's got, you know, checkboxes associated with it. It's got the different sections of the API and the different tests that you do for them. Looks really, really strong. 
a plain English explanation of blockchain, a mobile security testing guide, Docker security best practices, one of the best explanations I've ever seen of data structures, various data structures, different types, the DEF CON recommended reading list, uh, I got a link here, kind of random, breaking a 200 year tradition, the queen actually had the royal band outside Buckingham Palace play the US national anthem on the day after 9-11. And it, I got a link here to the YouTube video, it's quite, uh, quite emotional. And some tools here, Yasuo, find vulnerable third-party web applications on a network, key.me, Take a picture of any key and get a copy delivered to you. This has been around for quite some time, but this is a new service that evidently does it really well with the parsing of the picture and also delivering the key to you. AWS bucket dump, find interesting files in an S3 bucket. Zeus, an AWS auditing tool for EC2, S3, CloudTrail, CloudWatch, etc. And WPSQL a WordPress security scanner. And a few notes here. I'm about to finish this book called Zero Marginal Cost Society by Jeremy Rifkin. Uh, great book. Uh, someone actually recommended it to me when I was over in London. They said they read my book and I should read this book. So I see definitely why they recommended it. It talks about trains for the future, which a lot of books do, but it had some similarities to mine. It actually covers different trends. But he goes into far more depth. I actually wish it would have been more condensed. But uh, the content is just really good and definitely worth a read. My next book is on a similar sort of note, which is called The Inevitable, Understanding the 12 Techno Technological Forces That Will Shape Our Future by Kevin Kelly. Somewhat hesitant to read this because I'm in the middle of writing an essay about the trends that I see happening, I've already got an index card all built out for it. And I've got like, I don't know, 15, maybe, I don't know, 12 or 20, something like that. I've got a number of trends that I'm going to be working through. But my idea is to just say that the trend is happening and maybe this one will interact with that one or that one will interact with this other one, but not really claiming that I know how all of them will interact and what outcomes they will produce. But a little bit annoying that this book is already out when I was gonna use this essay as potentially a, a source of a book. I guess nothing will stop that if, uh, if I see significant difference between what I'm trying to do and this one I'm about to read. But I'm excited about um, reading it. And if it's, uh, if it's good, I guess I just, or if it's similar enough, I guess I just won't write mine. Uh, my friends, Marissa Fagan and Masha Sedova are teaching their highly acclaimed security culture as defense course at Caesars Palace and Black Hat this year. And if you're involved at all with security culture, security awareness, security training, awareness training, any of that stuff, I highly recommend this course. I've got a couple of friends who have gone to it already. Um, I've heard it talked about by both of um, the teachers, both uh, Marissa um, and Masha. So like just really, really strong course. Um, it gets at like the underlying pieces of what's required to have a, a successful program. 
And uh, yeah, if, if you're in that space at all, highly recommend this course. And they teach at other places too. So, I mean, just check out the link and, uh, and explore it. Um, took a calligraphy class yesterday that was super fun and uh, a little worried I might buy everything related to this, like just paper, uh, custom, custom uh, device for writing, the ink, like there's, there's a whole ecosystem which always frightens me, but um, I'm excited about it because I love fonts, typography, design, all that stuff. And uh, it was super relaxing actually to, to, uh, to create these characters. It was, it was uh, great. I haven't done it since like seventh grade. So it was super fun. And uh, recommendations this week. If you have any S3 facing the internet, stop what you're doing and make sure they're locked down. The S3 thing is just, uh, it's getting bad. Uh, It seems like every week I have two or three articles that I could put in the newsletter from something really nasty being exposed to the internet through S3. And the aphorism for the week, nobody realizes that some people expend tremendous energy merely to be normal. Albert Camus. See you next week. All right. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget that you can get the show notes for this episode, including the links to everything mentioned in the companion newsletter at danielmiesler.com slash newsletter. And if you like the show, Please share it with a friend or on social media. I'll see you next time.